Hey, everybody. It's Laura Rutledge, Miss Florida 2012, and you're listening to Life After the Crown with Tim Tialdo. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Life After the Crown podcast, where each episode I bring you interviews with former pageant contestants, title holders, and women of influence who are now succeeding across many different industries in the real world. My name is Tim Tialdo, TV and pageant host, entrepreneur, author, and somebody who just wants to help you become better. Now, if you're wondering what life looks like after pageants, the advice, the stories, and the interviews that you hear on this podcast will not only inspire you, but help make your transition from pageants to professional life a bit easier to handle. So if this is your first time listening, thanks for tuning in. We're glad you're with us. Let's get started. My guest today won the Miss Florida title in 2012 and has gone on to have a very successful career as a host and reporter for ESPN and the SEC Network. She started her career as a sideline reporter covering Tampa Bay Rays games for Fox Sports, and subsequently she covered the San Diego Padres and also reported for Fox College Sports. She joined ESPN's coverage of the Southeastern Conference in 2014 as a reporter on SEC Network and ESPN, and she recently signed a multi-year contract extension in the summer of 2018. She has expanded her portfolio at the network over the past year to include co-hosting Get Up, regular stents as a sports center anchor, and a red carpet host at the Home Depot College Football Awards and the ESPYs. She also contributes to ESPN and SEC Network's live event programming for college football, basketball, gymnastics, baseball, and softball. Prior to joining ESPN, she was an anchor for CNN's New Day and Early Start. She also worked on HLN's Morning Express with Robin Mead, as well as Fox Sports. She has a broadcast journalism degree from the University of Florida, where she also won a 2011 Red Barber Award for Excellence in Broadcasting at UF. Laura Rutledge, what an honor to have you stop by the podcast. Thanks for the time today. The honor is all mine. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, first of all, congrats on all your broadcasting success. You've obviously really made a name for yourself over the past five, six years here. Um, and you've inspired a lot of young women out there. I talk to so many who say, you know, I'd like to be like a Laura Rutledge or a Aaron Andrews or anybody like that. And so you're doing great things. What's it feel like to be in that realm? Yeah, you know, it's funny because it always surprises me if anyone says that. You know, I'm, I'm always uh, I'm kind of shocked. And I, I think it's just, you know, overall, just being really thankful all the time for the opportunities that have come my way and I tell you what, it's it's interesting because you look at your path in life and, you know, I'm 30 now, so I, I haven't been around that long, but I feel like I've <laughs> seen a few things, experienced a few things at this point. And um, there are just so many things that even back, you know, through my high school days and leading up to sort of accidentally falling into the pageant world and then using that experience, it it all ended up making sense. And I think um, it's interesting because when I talk to a lot of young women who want to get into broadcasting or want to get into sports broadcasting specifically, I'm always telling them, you know, your path is your own. So they'll, they'll tell me, you know, I want to do exactly what you did. And, and I'm like, well, I wouldn't recommend that because <laughs> you need to do your own path and, and take it your own way. And, and I really do believe that there are so many ways to get into these uh, different businesses and take different opportunities. And so I'm very thankful for my journey, but um, also really excited to see other people's journeys too. 
Well, speaking of that path, did you have somebody when you were growing up that you looked up to and said, I want to be like her that was in either broadcasting or sports broadcasting? Yeah, it's funny because I didn't think that I even wanted to do anything related to sports broadcasting until I got to college. And, and that story is kind of funny how that happened. But, um, you know, I always grew up liking news anchors and, and people on TV. I, I never thought I would do that. Um, but I think actually, if, if I think about somebody who I thought, you know, I want to be like this person, I, I grew up listening to NPR. My parents were uh, big fans of NPR. We would, you know, go on long road trips and things like that. So radio was a very big uh, portion of my life, big component of just kind of how I was raised. And so I loved Prairie Home Companion with Garrison Keeler. And I, I really thought that the way that he would tell stories, the way that he would um, illustrate things through words to where you could almost visualize exactly what was going on. And then almost throwing in a little bit of humor was, was something that I enjoyed. I think growing up, I really thought that I would be a creative writer um, or something along those lines. For a while, I thought I was going to be a professional ballet dancer. So I was more into the art side of things. And and therefore, I would say actually Garrison Keillor would be somebody who I would point to as um, a person who I admired and, and thought maybe I wanted to be like when I got older. Okay, well, very good. And you mentioned you had some other interests there. I also read that in elementary school, you wanted to be a marine biologist. Uh, what changed yes. the path for you? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the marine biology, my, my family, um, we would go in the summers to Santa Rosa Beach, and we ended up actually moving there when I was in um, fifth grade, fourth or fifth grade. And so when we were there, I would go, you know, uh, snorkeling all the time. And, and our friends down there, we would always be, you know, sort of looking around for fish, and, and I was in the water constantly. And so I think I thought, well, you know, if somebody could do this for a job, this would be my kind of thing. <laughs> and then I realized there was really a lot of science involved, and science and math were never truly my strength. I was always fascinated by anything science-related. I also wanted to be a meteorologist for a while. I, I still love the Weather Channel. Like, I will sit there and watch the local on the eights repeatedly, which is really weird, but <laughs> um, that is something that I've always liked. And, and then I realized, okay, I'm not very good at science and math, so maybe language in a route that would be a little more affiliated with that is probably more my strengths. But, um, you know, the, the cool thing I think about my childhood when I look back and just something that I would credit my parents for is they never ruled anything out. I was allowed to sort of dream as big as I wanted to, to, to think hey, I want to try this and that. And they gave me a lot of hands-on experiences. My mom homeschooled us for a while. Um, and so that was a, a big part of how we learned. And most of it was, you know, hey, we're not going to get you a lot of gifts. You're not going to get a lot of things, but we're going to give you experiences. And I, I do think that affected uh, what I've become as an adult. And I'm very thankful for that. Well, and you certainly have a lot of experiences now in front of audiences. You're either in front of big live audiences at, you know, let's say a football game or you're on camera do you remember that first time that you either stood in front of an audience or talked in front of a camera and what that was like? Oh, yes. I mean, it, when I was younger and, and probably in elementary school, when I did go to public school, I had terrible anxiety about being in front of audiences. And it's so funny now because, I, you know, now, like, there are times where I'll get some nerves or things like that, but it's, it's totally under control. And I think if at that point you had told a 10-year-old me what I would end up doing, it, she just would have been shocked and she would have said, there's no way. Um, and, and it's interesting because I do think that, you know, through life, there are so many different things that 
make you who you're going to be. And that that's a, a no brainer type statement. But for me, that was really crucial to what I would become. And, and it all actually changed for me. I was pretty shy and, and pretty reserved, sometimes even afraid to um, order at the McDonald's drive through. You know, <laughs> I was like, I can't even say my order. I'm embarrassed. I'm, I'm self-conscious. Um, and then when I was 16, I went to China. I went to Shanghai for a ballet study that was going to last uh, about a year. And I was sort of thrown into the fire of this foreign country where I really didn't speak the language. I tried to learn a little bit of Mandarin, but it's an incredibly difficult language. And I was, I was at a disadvantage at all times, basically, because I couldn't really communicate and had to put myself out there. And, and I, I saw a clear change very rapidly in what I was like and how I could handle situations. And I think that actual random trip that, you know, had nothing to do with sports broadcasting was probably what laid the foundation to, to make me comfortable. And, you know, to answer the question more specifically, I do remember a time, um, you know, probably my first big broadcast. And this was, I had gotten hired to work for the Tampa Bay Rays and to work for Fox Sports Florida and be their reporter. I was still in college. So I was finishing up my senior year at the University of Florida. And they called me and said, you know, we want to have you as part of the pre and post game show. And as a 22-year-old thinking, oh my goodness, I'm going to do a baseball (laughs) broadcast all of a sudden. And and I had experience, but it was pretty limited. I'd certainly never done live television like that. And showing up and, you know, them saying, hey, uh, we want to go ahead and wire you up. Do you have your IFB? And and me thinking, I don't know what an IFB is. And trying to (laughs) Google IFB and thinking, well, I don't think I have one if I don't know what it is. Um, And just, I remember like sweating profusely. I was wearing this pink shirt and I had pit stains and I was so embarrassed. And I thought, (laughs) you know, this is just not going to be for me. Um, And somehow I got through it and and it wasn't pretty. and And I probably was you know, clutching the mic with a death grip with both hands and and looked like I was a a nervous wreck. But I think looking back, a lot of that was just about treading water. And that's what I would give, you know, as advice to a lot of young people who do kind of have that first experience in front of a big audience or on national TV or even on regional TV, whatever it may be. It's still a different type thing when that red light comes on and you realize, oh, my goodness, you know, I can't mess this up. Well, that was a very authentic answer, and I, I'm sure a lot of people would appreciate that because that death grip on the mic, I totally remember that. It, it is it is that exact oh, yeah. feeling where you're like, oh, man, this is going to be crazy. All right, so, hey, let's talk about your pageant life. Now, I know that you did not really have interest in beauty pageants uh, until apparently in 2010 your friends just say, hey, Laura, we signed you up for a pageant. So can you tell us about the experience of that? Yeah. Right, which now I'm so thankful for that. But at the time, I was like, are you kidding me? Um, And, you know, I didn't even grow up watching Miss America. It it wasn't part of what we did as a family. It wasn't, you know, a tradition that we had in our household. I had never even seen it until I had already competed in a pageant, a local pageant in in Florida. And and that story was uh, just hilarious. My friends in my sorority at Florida said, you know, we nominated you for the Miss U.S. pageant because they wanted a representative and they said, you know, you're still doing ballet, you're still doing these things. I really, I was still doing ballet because I really couldn't let it go. I I missed it too much and I had given it up after being very serious about it and come to college and so I was finding ways to still do it. They said, you know, just go and do this and it'll be fine. And I said, absolutely not. I'm not going to go do some pageant. I don't know anything about that and I'm going to be a disaster and that's going to be embarrassing. And then they told me, well, we had to give $200 to Children's Miracle Network for you to do this, and we can't take the money back. 
So then I thought, okay, well, if it's for Children's Miracle Network, it's for a good cause, <laughs> I will do it and I'll get myself through it. You know, and of course they knew exactly how to convince me to do it. So I did that first pageant, Miss UF, and I got first runner up. I didn't win, but I got first runner up. Much to my surprise, I, I didn't expect to even place my, you know, much less get first runner up. And I won $1,000 in scholarship money just for getting first runner up. And I thought, well, wait a second, you know, this is really beneficial. I could just get first runner up all over the place at these local pageants <laughs> and provide myself with a bunch of scholarship money. Wow, you know. And on a more serious note, I realized that at that point, I knew I wanted to be a sports broadcaster. I was doing mostly radio. And I thought, this is an opportunity to really refine some things because speaking in front of people is a lot different from being behind a radio veil and, and literally not being seen. So I thought, I'm going to use this to my advantage and also, you know, have a chance to dance. I, I just, you know, figured I'm going to do this and, and I'm not going to actually get to Miss Florida. I'm just going to do these local pageants. So that year I competed in three local pageants and then I finally won Miss Suncoast at the Miss Miami pageant. And I thought, oh no, now I actually have to go to Miss Florida. You know, what am I going to do? Um, and, and that was just a whole adventure and going to Miss Florida that first year. It was just so outside of my comfort zone, outside of my family's comfort zone. But that first year I won the overall interview award and won a lot of scholarship. I didn't place in the top 10, but I was in the top 15. And you know, at the time, I felt like that was a disappointment because I held myself to a higher standard, but I also realized how much I was gaining from it. And I really do think when you look at what the Miss America organization does um, and has done for so many of us for all of these years, it, it's not just about winning. And that sounds corny, but I won just through my participation and through committing myself to doing this and, and really working on who I was going to be um, as a presenter, which really was beneficial to my career. So that was one side of it. And also I was making these great friends. And, and it's funny because I was totally bought into the stereotypes of, oh, pageant girls aren't nice and they're all fake and all of these things that you know people have out there. And I found that to be absolutely untrue. And instead, I became very close with a lot of these young women, and I'm still friends with them today. You know, um, nine years later, eight years later, I'm still close with them. And then eventually went on to win Miss, uh, Miss Florida and go to Miss America. And the funny thing about how that whole evolution happened was my second year competing for Miss Florida, I, I won Miss St. Petersburg, which as the Tampa Bay Rays reporter was really my only goal. I thought, I just want to win Miss St. Pete and I'm going to be a representative for this area and do community service. And it's going to be wonderful. And I ended up placing second runner up at Miss Florida that second year and thought, well, surely I'm not going to go higher than that. So I just better go out on a high note and kind of be done, you know, and, and I was just really thankful for even being that, that, that high, even finishing that high. And then um, the third year that I competed the only reason why I did a local pageant was because I just started dating my now husband and he at the time was playing professional baseball. And so I knew he wouldn't be around to see me compete in Miss Florida, but I thought, all right, because that'd be during baseball season. But I thought, okay, the, the local pageant in the Tampa area is in January. So I can do a local pageant and just show him how I can dance because he had never seen me dance before. <laughs> I thought I wanted to see me dance. So I wanted to come and like see me on stage and dance and I'm going to really win this guy over. It's going to be great. And so I, I did that local pageant really just to show him that I could dance and to have him around and have him meet some of the people that 
you know, I had become close with who were going to be there. And I, I won. I was not in the right shape to be out there. I, I, my dance was not very good because I had barely put it together. I think I was wearing a dress from Forever 21 trying to do the dance. And it was just not my best performance. But he loved it. And that was really my only point. And I ended up winning Miss Pinellas County and thought, okay, well, now I am going back to Miss Florida. So here we go again. <laughs> and that whole time. You know, my approach that year, which if, if you talk about advice for a pageant, you know, everyone always says, yeah, just go in and, and try to be carefree and you'll do great. And that's so hard to do. You can't manufacture that. But that year, I truly was carefree because I thought, you know what, I've been given another chance to do this. I'm probably not going to win, but I'm just going to have fun and be myself. And that's exactly what I did. And I ended up winning Miss Florida and, and the rest is history. So um, it was an incredible experience and, and it's really something that shaped who I became. And, and it, it was a different type year because I worked full time as well as being Miss Florida full time. And um, during that year, actually starting in January of that year following Miss America, I immediately started my job at Foxport San Diego. So I was commuting cross country and paying my way to commute cross country so I could still complete my duties as Miss Florida, which was very important to me. Um, but it was an interesting and challenging year. Well, no doubt. And being that broadcasting was really your focus. I mean, you know, pageants were just kind of a, a side hobby, if you will. And you know, when you won the crown, now that you have the gift of hindsight, what, what did it ultimately do for you being Miss Florida? Yeah, you know, it did many things. And, and I think one of the main things is made me so good at managing a challenging schedule. And that sounds like sort of a nuts and bolts answer. But a lot of people now will ask me, you know, how do you manage your schedule? And I manage it all on my own. You know, there's people who are like, you need an assistant or you need, you know, some go between. And there are even people at ESPN who are my bosses who have tried to help manage. And then they'll come back to me and say, I can't even handle this. This is too crazy. I don't know how you do this. Well, it all started while I was Miss Florida. And when I was managing appearances, I would go out a lot of times and ask people if I could appear at their event because that was really the only, and, and appear unpaid because I really took it to heart that I was a servant to the state that year. And I wanted to be there for whatever I could be and, and put the Miss Florida name out there. I felt like we needed to market the organization better. And, and I felt I could do that. And so, um, you know, that was a big part of it. And then I think the other thing was I, I still, you know, in college, dealt with some insecurity and dealt with some issues, uh, being self-conscious and not feeling like my best self all the time. And, and what Miss Florida did and just the work on the interview process, the work on all of these things, even just how to walk on stage, which sounds very superficial, has allowed me to feel really comfortable on camera when I'm doing things on TV. Um, the, the ability to think on your feet at all times. I mean, you talk about live television and specifically live sports TV. It's one of the most difficult forms of television because it truly is unscripted and reactive. And when you think about putting yourself in a nursing home where you don't know what people are going to say and you've got to react to them and you've got to be polite and fun and clever and all of these things at once. And then you go from there to a children's hospital and you have to completely change how you would interact. I found that that experience really allowed me to work on, you know, the abilities that would be so beneficial to, to this job now. And um, I think those those things, if I hadn't been Miss Florida for a year, I wouldn't be in the position that I am uh, in my career. And it wasn't just that year. It was 
the three years of time that I competed in the Miss Florida system and, and in the Miss America organization. Well, two years after you get crowned, um, obviously that experience must have done you well because at the time you got the biggest break of your career. ESPN hires you in 2014 to the SEC network to serve as the main host. Um, was that a goal of yours at the time or was it something that you kind of stumbled into through you know certain connections? Yeah, so the way that all of that happened is um, I look back on it now and I just laugh because it really was a crazy kind of turn of events. I, I had really worked my way up at Fox Sports and at Fox Sports San Diego, they had given me my own show and I was producing and hosting it and I was also doing all the Padres broadcast as well as a Chargers show. And I, I kind of had it all <laughs> and they were, you know, ready to offer me another deal. And I was going to stay there and I was 25 years old and thought, you know, I'm not sure if it gets much better than this at, at this age and in this business. And then I got married, my husband and I got married and um, he said, you know what? I don't think we need to live in San Diego. <laughs> and we started talking <laughs> through it and realized, yeah, this probably doesn't make a lot of sense. And at the time, he was still playing for the Colorado Rockies. So he was in the same division as the Padres, which started to feel to me uncomfortable to report on other teams, you know, other than my husband. And um, it was very important to me to, to put family first and to figure out a way to make all that work for us. And so um, kind of push came to shove with all that. And I said, I'm going to have to give up this, this great job. And I basically gave up this incredible career and thought, we're going to have to start over. And we moved to Atlanta. And I started looking like for local news jobs because I thought that's probably the best I'm going to do at this point, you know, and I had a lot of experience. I had a good resume reel, but, but really, you know, when you make a switch like that, people say, well, what's wrong with her? <laughs> you know, why would she leave that job? <laughs> and so uh, that process, I, I interned basically at a local news station in Atlanta, 11 Alive. I was like covering uh, girls high school soccer. So I'd gone from sort of the pinnacle of regional broadcasting and, and sometimes national with Fox Sports to to like that. And um, I was one man banding it, which, you know, for those who don't know, means you're carrying your own camera around. And like I was getting flat tires and having to get my package done. I mean, it, it was almost like the reverse effect. You know, a lot of times pay those dues first of all, and then you kind of work your way up. And I have been fortunate really not to have to do that. And then kind of Doing it on the back end uh, at that point was difficult. So then I, I went and had a meeting at CNN, and they were looking for somebody to um, host some World Cup coverage from their studios in Atlanta. Well, I knew nothing about international soccer, and I thought this is going to be a disaster, but they hired me to do it anyway. And I would sit there for hours and try to listen on YouTube for how to pronounce things and <laughs> try to sound like they are talking about. So during all of that time, I knew that the SEC network was starting and I was sending a million emails trying to get just somebody to call me back or to email me back and, and nobody would. And I thought, well, this is just hopeless. So best I'm going to do is this sort of local job and maybe a little bit of CNN here and there. And then finally, about three weeks before the network was launching, I got an email back from um, a, a wonderful guy who has ended up being my you know, sort of boss and one of my advisors at ESPN. And he said, okay, we will interview you in the Atlanta airport. So meet us in the Atlanta airport and we'll, we'll talk to you there. And I thought, well, wow. this is just not going to go well. I mean, there's no <laughs> way, you know? And so I go to the, the interview and I think I just bomb it. And I'm like, well, you know, so much for that. That was my one opportunity. And then they called me about a week later and said, you're hired and we're going to have you 
you know, do football for SEC Network. So the interesting thing about that, too, was that it was really only a football contract. So I knew I was going to have to prove a lot and, and uh, really took that seriously. But I thought this is my chance and I have to make it count. Well, you've been you kind of become known uh, for that sideline reporting and football. I mean, people know your face and your name and you do a really great job out there. And I think the one thing I want you to explain to everybody listening is I don't think people understand how difficult that atmosphere can be. Number one, just to be able to hear, you know, the hosts tossing it down to you. Uh, but number two, I mean, I've even seen you take hits on video, you know, being on that <laughs> sideline. It can be scary. What's it like to be in that situation and how do you try to excel in that environment? Yeah, it's pure chaos at all times. I mean, think about being at a game when you've got people yelling and everybody's been in those environments in the stands even where people are yelling and it's loud and there's music playing and there's announcements and it's crazy and then take that and magnify it times a hundred and put yourself on the field where there's action happening that you need to keep track of and you got to crank up your earpiece because you can't hear because it's so loud. I mean, it is, it's just, but I love every second of it. And, you know, sometimes you're dealing with the elements. Sometimes you're like, wow, I just ran to that whole side of the field and now i got to run back to the other side because something happened over there and, and you're trying to cover all this ground and you're trying to see things and you're trying to hear things and um, it's just crazy and, and you're purely reacting. There's no script. I, I have so many times where people say, well, they must be telling you what to say in your ear or I'll get a tweet that says, man, your producer shouldn't have told you to ask that question. And I say, uh, no, that was all on me. I asked that question. If, if you didn't like it, you can blame me. Um, and, and it is, it's, it's all, you know, that trust that you develop with your producer and director. And then of course, with the play-by-play and analyst in the booth. And, um, I, I really find that it's, it's almost a combination of being very nosy because you're trying to see things down there that will allow you to be the eyes and the ears for the people watching at home who can't see what you can see. And then finding a way to, package it all together to where it makes sense. And you've got to get your report in in about 15 seconds, maybe even less, because especially with hurry up offenses now, it's going so fast and you don't want to talk over action. Um, So it's just a, it is a skill and a um, refined skill set, I would say that no one can teach you and that you just have to, to teach yourself and learn. And um, I love it. And and what I really love about it is that it's always a challenge. It's never the same thing. It's impossible to get complacent with sideline reporting because it changes. And and one other thing that I would point out, you know, I'm I'm so just honored to be part of our group of sideline reporters at ESPN. And I think there are sometimes these, you know, connotations that are out there that aren't positive about sideline reporters that are like, oh, they just got to go down to the reporter and what. No, people don't realize if if you're ever in a production truck, you'll hear how often the sideline reporter is saying, hey, number 45 just changed jerseys. Watch for that. Or, hey, they've actually spotted the ball at the 50 instead of the the 34, whatever it is. You know, there are always these things that we're noticing. and, And most of our job is actually to alert the director and producer of what's going on down there or to give them a feel of what we should be doing. A lot of it never ends up on TV. It never ends up on air, but it is on TV in many other ways. We'll hear something that may not be something we would report, but we'll say, hey, open me up to the booth in a commercial break so you can tell the analyst, hey, look for this. They're probably going to run the ball to the right side. That allows the, the analyst to look smart, and we never get the credit for it, which you don't want the credit, but 
I think people don't realize how much we're actually doing down there. Um, and I'm, I'm saying that more less about me, but more about just the collective group of sideline reporters out there and what the job actually entails. Well, look, you make it look easy and you do a great job. So, you know, just keep doing what you're doing because it obviously is a passion for you and you, you do a great job of it. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, February of last year. ESPN announces that you're going to be given the honor of anchoring SportsCenter in the place of Kerry Champion for a week. Uh, you know, going from <laughs> interviewing for the SEC Network in the Atlanta airport to now being on SportsCenter, was that for you a defining moment in your career? It definitely was. I mean, you know, I look back and think about even just when I had decided that I wanted to be a sports broadcaster, which was a little later than some people um, because I was already in college. But when I decided, I was very serious about it. And I would spend hours watching SportsCenter and um, just always thought, you know, that studio looks so big and so scary and awesome. And I'll probably never be in there. And you know, when ESPN hires you, you go to a thing called Rookie Camp in Bristol, Connecticut. And I remember just seeing that Sports Center studio when I was at Rookie Camp and thinking, wow, you know, I don't even know how they host shows in here. I mean, it's so intimidating. <laughs> so to walk in there and to know that, you know, here I am, I'm going to do this um, was, was just crazy. But I, I think at that point, and I, I always remember, you know, when the the show was being counted down in our ears, so they're, they're saying, you know, Ten nine eight seven six five four three two one, and knowing that at one we're going to go live on SportsCenter, I just felt a real sense of calm, and and I think that had to do with all the preparation, all the incredible people that had set me up well up until that point, and I, I can't take credit for it at all, but it was really the people who had invested in in my career and invested in me to really set me up to feel good there, and David Lloyd who. I co-anchored with, you know, those first few times hosting SportsCenter was just so kind. Um, And I'll never forget that because you really, I think what I've seen is that there are some people, um, and this is true in any business, in any career field, that that aren't always as kind. And he really extended a helping hand to make sure that I felt comfortable, which he did not have to do. So um, that was a a special moment. And then that week, I also, it was uh, during the NBA trade deadline, and so I also had a couple of rough moments. There was a um, <laughs> there was a Lakers trade that happened that was breaking news, and they t- they were saying the names in my ear as it was happening. And I-, I had a big learning lesson because I tried to say it and I tried to get it out, and I just ended up butchering the whole thing. And I was so embarrassed, and I thought, well, I'm never going to host Sports Center again. But at least I got to do it once <laughs> or twice. You know, this is it. I'm done. Um, and, and I tried to, you know, spit it all out and it was a mess. And, and what I learned from that is first of all, that, you know, you can make mistakes and it's okay. And I, they did give me plenty more opportunities after that. So it wasn't as dire as I thought it was in the moment, but also just to take a deep breath. And it's okay sometimes to say, even on national television, you know what? I didn't get that. My producers are telling me about a breaking news, uh, breaking news in basketball. Let me just make sure I've got this right. And you can say that and people understand and and it would have been fine. And so um, some learning moments for sure and some embarrassing moments, but also a really cool career moment. Well, hey, real quick before we wrap up here, you know, you're you're doing so many good things. You're doing Get Up Now and SportsCenter. And I know you're working on a, a SEC Network show called The Moment. What is it that you ultimately would like to be able to do in sports broadcasting or in broadcasting in general? Yeah, you know, I love sports broadcasting, so I would stick with that. And I, I just think that, um, 
you know, the combination of storytelling, which in creating new shows gives you a chance to be creative about. So that's really a passion of mine. Combination of that as well as as hosting shows and then also sideline reporting. So I'm really saying everything, right? <laughs> I can't cut anything out. Jack of all um, trades. But that's the, right. But that's what I love. And, and I think that what I found is that all of these things intertwined make you better on everything. And, and I don't want to ever be better on things for myself, but I want to be better for the fans at home. You know, what can I do to make their viewing experience the best possible? And that's, that's really how I look at all of this and the prism through which I'm preparing for every broadcast. So um, yeah, I, I love all of it and I don't want to stop doing any of it anytime soon. Well, I have no doubt you're going to get to everywhere you want to get to. So, so good luck with it, and we're certainly cheering for you. Uh, all right, so here, before we go, let's do uh, – how about rapid fire, get to know Laura Rutledge. Ten questions, real Sounds quick, good. game show style. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, here we go. Number one, at what age do you want to retire? I would say 70. There you go. Hey, that's <laughs> five years beyond the norm. Man. That's all right. Yeah. Uh, number two, which would you rather have, invisibility or super strength? I'm going to say invisibility, and I think it goes back to kind of at my core being a little bit curious and nosy about people. I could sneak <laughs> around and they wouldn't see me. Yeah, you get on the sidelines pretty well there in invisibility. Exactly. All right, number three. Is it wrong for a vegetarian to eat animal crackers? Not at all, <laughs> and I would recommend it because they need to get their nutrients somewhere. Yeah, you got to have them on the desk, right? Right. All right. Scale of one to ten, this is number four. How good of a singer are you? Oh, my goodness. I'm terrible. I used to be pretty good, and then when I started doing so much radio, my voice lowered, and now I can't sing. Oh, well. (laughs) I would say a two. (laughs) All right. A two out of ten. We got it. Number five, who was your first celebrity crush if you had one? Oh, you know, my first – people are going to laugh at me and say, what a nerd – uh, my first celebrity crush is Joshua Bell, who is a violinist, a famous violinist. But I played <laughs> okay. a lot of instruments growing up, and he was like my violinist idol. And I got to see him in concert and just was obsessed. All right, well, not the expected answer, but that's a good one. I like that. Uh, uh, number number six, are you a morning person or a night owl? You know, I'm more of a night owl naturally, but with the get-up schedule, I have to get up uh, really <laughs> Literally. early, so I've turned into more of a morning person. Okay, all right. Number seven, worst event that you have ever had to cover in television? Oh, I know what that is. I covered the Collegiate Paintball Championship, <laughs> and you know, it was actually quite fun until I volunteered to feel what it felt like to get pelted by a paintball uh, on TV because I thought this will be good television and it hurt. (laughs) Yeah, I bet you let out a yelp on the microphone when that happened. I did. Not so good. (laughs) I ran away. (laughs) (laughs) I totally understand. Number eight, uh, do you snore? I don't. I don't, thankfully. And, And I've asked my husband just to make sure, but I don't. Okay, very good, very good. Number nine, person you most want to interview that you have not already. Ooh, that's good. I would want to interview Oprah. I just think her her story is amazing, and uh, she's so inspiring, but she also is so full of ideas all the time. I would love to just pick her brain. Okay, and number 10, who is the most fascinating person that you get to work with? Ooh, I love that. Uh, Paul Feinbaum, actually. He is... 
so interesting. He he truly, as somebody who's branded as a sports person, has so many different things that he's into and that he cares about. Music, um, culture, technology, all of these things. So anytime I talk to him, I just walk away feeling like I learned something and uh, just feeling very fulfilled. Yeah, I've heard that about him. I've heard he's very fascinating, and that's super cool. And by the way, you also work with Tim Tebow, who has a, obviously now a... Uh, connection to the pageant world, marrying Miss Universe. Yes. What's it like to work with Tim, who was also, I believe you guys went to college together. He is wonderful, and I'm I'm just happy to call him a friend now. Um, you know, after covering him when we were in college, I, I was at so many of his games, and Demi, his fiance, Miss Universe, could not be a kinder, more generous person. And so um, I'm just so happy for both of them that they found each other. And I know that Tim, you know, was waiting for the right person to come along and he found his queen, literally. So um, <laughs> no just, doubt about it's that. been fun to watch that develop and just so, so happy for those two. Well, hey, I just want to say I'm so appreciative of your time this morning. Um, I know there have been a ton of girls who have requested me to have you on, so thank you for the time, and uh, good luck with your career at ESPN, and I certainly hope we can stay in touch and uh, talk more in the future. Yes, and if any of those girls out there want to talk further, just send me an Instagram DM or something like that. I will see it, and I will get back to you. Thanks for listening to today's episode, everybody, and to Laura Rutledge for her time. If you want to follow Laura, catch her on Instagram or Twitter, both at Laura M. Rutledge. I hope you enjoyed the podcast, and if you wouldn't mind, please subscribe. You can do so on Spotify, iTunes, the podcast app, Google Play, or YouTube, or you can, of course, go to lifeafterthecrown.com. And for weekly podcast updates, just follow me on Instagram at Tim Tialdo. Until next time, remember the words of Deuteronomy 31.8. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Believe in yourself, ladies. Have faith and pursue your dreams with no fear. Have a great week. We'll see you soon.